0: This podcast is brought to you by Electric Power Systems. EPS is a leading provider of high-power, scalable powertrains that are certifiable for electrified aviation. It develops energy storage systems, DC fast-charging stations, and electric propulsion products for aerospace, defense, automotive, marine, and industrial traction industries.
1: All right. Welcome, listeners.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Aviation Renaissance with Spencer & Spencer Today we have Electric Power Systems Chief Financial Officer, Dustin Turley, and we're excited to have him on today, kind of share his experience, uh, long, long history in aviation, aviation industry, and uh, a very, you could say, lucrative career. So Dustin, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, so Dustin Turley, I've been with electric power systems for uh, three years now. Previously, I was at Boeing for about 10 years, Mm -hmm. um, and then previous to that, I was in the uh, uh, real estate industry uh, down in in Phoenix, Arizona, um, you know, getting involved in in real estate development and and whatnot, but, um, you know, working on the brokerage side, putting together land deals and deals with homeowners, so. Um, got, got a lot of my, my career has mainly been in finance, the, the, the numbers side of things. That's where my true passion is. took me a while to figure that out when I was in college and things, but once I, uh, once I learned how, to, how a spreadsheet worked, I just kind of caught fire.
2: Where would you go to college?
1: So Arizona State University, and when I was at Arizona State University, I was choosing between finance and real estate as a degree. And you know, I, I I didn't realize that you could get a degree in real estate. So when I found that out, I was like, hmm, I might want to rethink this because my my desire was really to get into real estate developing to begin with. Hmm. Um and in Phoenix, Arizona, you know, one out of every three dollars there is spent on real estate. It's a real estate driven market, that's why you get the boom and bust. And so um, I really wanted to get into the development side, and so I decided to go. I, I still took, you know, basically like you could call it, uh, you know, a minor in, in finance because I still took a, a, you know, bunch of finance classes. But I went with the degree in real estate, and you know, really learned a lot. That that degree was really getting your foot in the door and developing relationships with the developers because they'd come in and talk to you in the program. Uh, the undergrad program there. So I was able to get in, get an um, uh, internship with a land group there and started working with home builders even before I graduated. Mm. So um, did, did a lot there in real estate. But unfortunately, um, when I was getting in, you know, the, the market was had heated up, but then it started coming down. Mm. And so this was like the boom and bust where you made money and then you lost all of it. And, but in Phoenix, it was, it was pretty bad. Like, I mean, you literally had homes that were losing like half their value, um, mm. overnight. And so, um, I hung on as long as I possibly could. And eventually I just, uh, my father-in-law worked for Boeing. Mm. And so when I talked with him, he was just like, Hey, you might, uh, you might want to check out Boeing. And my thought was, I will never work in corporate America. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the biggest corporations in America. Oh, no. Famous last words. I (laughs) was, so I am, I am a very money motivated person. Mm -hmm. So I did not think that I would ever do well in a salary job. Mm. So in real estate, I mean, I was up at six in the morning didn't stop until 10 at night and you could fill your day with everything, but, you know, you're you're able to do whatever you want, though. You can go golfing. You can go to lunch with someone. You can, you know, as long as you're being productive and you're you're developing the relationships, working the relationships, and getting done the things that you need to and the money's coming in, then it's great. Mm-hmm. You know, you just got have to balance the, the work and family time. So I did not think that I could... The thought of working as hard as I work and still getting paid the same amount every day, it was like to me, just, I, my brain just couldn't compute it. It's just like, that does not make any sense. Why would I ever go work that hard and get paid the same amount consistently? So, um, but when the market fell out and there were no options, I was talking to my father always like, hey, you know, you might want to apply at Boeing and just see what happens. Well, I went ahead and applied and I was, I actually, you know, uh applying for several jobs at that time and you know most of them were in real estate um like with uh BRE and and um you know other companies where it would, I was would have been like a real estate analyst but then as i'm interviewing for these other jobs Boeing you know 3 months after i submitted my application calls me
3: hmm.
1: and this was a, it was a learning experience because I go in and I interview with Boeing and they literally, they they, they literally in the interview are like, what stresses you out? (laughs) You know, they're taking me through the star format. Now me, I've never been like corporate structured anything. It's always been like, just, you know, work hard, move forward, get things done. So I'm just like, "Um, you know, I, I don't know that I really get stressed. I just, take care of whatever stresses me out. If, if I am stressed and they're like, well, how do you handle stress? I'm like I go on a run or I bite my fingernails. Well, me saying I bite my fingernails, they bypassed me on the job. <laughs> because you bite your fingernails. Well, that was my response. They could tell that I was mm. like, I, I literally had just come from an interview, mm. you know, and you know, 24th and Camelback in Phoenix with, mm. with, uh, uh, a lender in, in real estate, they had me in a boardroom building a pro forma spreadsheet in front of three executives. I was sweating bullets. Yeah. Wow. Luckily, I did pretty well. It came down to me and another guy. The other guy got the job, though. You know, I found this out after the fact, but um, I literally had come from that interview, though, into an interview with Boeing. And they're like, you know, what stresses you out and and what do you do about stress? And so I was a little just like, what is going on here? Do you guys even know that I can do this job? Hmm. Like, how do you know that I can even do this? Hmm. And so um, now that was for at that time, the jobs were scarce. A lot of people were graduating college. There weren't a whole lot of jobs out there. So I was applying for a level one job. This was like a, a, you know, college students were applying right so um, they bypassed me on that but then two weeks later I get a call from another manager in Boeing saying hey I um I was talking to one of the managers in your interview and that she had mentioned or uh, recommended that I interview you can you come in for another interview and I was like yeah and this is right after I had found out that I didn't get this other job with this other firm uh, or real estate lender so I go in I talk to uh, talk to the manager and he's like so why did you say you bite your fingernails to deal with stress? And I'm like, well, one, cause I do. And two, I was like, and me and this, this manager, I mean, I looked at him, he looked at me and I'm like, I know exactly what you're thinking. He was of the same mold as me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, I, I, I go, I, I probably should have handled that interview a little bit better. Um, being that I wasn't in an interview and I, I, probably shouldn't have expressed maybe my frustration with the interview and the fact that, and I told him, I'm like, how do you even know I can do the job? He's like, well, we teach you how to do the job. And as long as you've got the degree and, you know, it kind of it breaks down that college proves that you can think and now they bring you in, they train you. And I was like, well, yeah, but there's probably a few things you can do to prove someone out before you go hire him and, and, and put all that time and effort into them. So, True. but he ends up hiring me and I get into Boeing and, I mean, they're just like, hey, here you've got two weeks of vacation, you've got, you know, you've got your your salary, but, you know, you you only work until this time. I mean, they just laid it out to me and I was like, this is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Salary does have its benefits. It it does.
0: And benefits have their benefits too. (laughs) It's very true.
1: Well, once I got in there, though, and you take the work ethic that I was used to you know, well, basically, that the, it's just my work ethic. Going into Boeing, and there's one thing: Boeing is awesome, and it's so awesome that you know, they they really do try to do a work-life balance. Now, when you get up to the managers and above, it's a little more difficult. But for the lower-level employees, they really do teach and preach that. But I. Found out, or I saw real quick that there's employees that will take advantage of that as much as they possibly yeah, can. Yeah, it does happen. So there were several times where people had deadlines, really tough things to do, and they just didn't exactly want to do them. And so I was like, I'll do it. So I literally built my career at Boeing through taking on. More work than really anybody else in my group or around me did mm-hmm. and I created value by hey We're paying this guy, and he's doing like three times the work as everybody else mm-hmm. But in doing that I was able to learn about many different aspects of the business mm-hmm. So what I was doing is I was accelerating my learning now. I'm the type that I'm not going to send an email I would, I would get up from my desk, walk across the campus, and go talk to somebody, and every time they were so surprised why I was at their desk, and I was like, <laughs> well, you know, I want to get an understanding here, but I want to understand where you're coming from, what's going on, because there's a lot going on, and if you don't understand what the other groups need, then, you know, you're, you're going to end up with two weeks of emails, and nothing moves forward. Mm-hmm. So... I found out that, you know, by the uh, face-to-face communication, um, you know, I could move things forward and so I started, you know, um, working on a bunch of programs. I started out with two programs. I was a a financial analyst on the Apache program on the support side and I had two programs to begin with. Eventually, I I got up to like, you know, five programs. So my first year and a half, I was an analyst. Then they moved me into financial planning and analysis. Mm So, but, you know, and then from there, I just worked my way up and eventually ended up at, a, that was in Mesa and then eventually ended up at Avial in Dallas, Texas. And that, at that time they were $5 billion in revenue. They were um, the largest subsidiary Boeing had. Now they were the largest distributor of aftermarket um, aerospace parts in the world. Wow. So Avial is what, you know, basically everybody, tires, whatever, I mean, you'd go on their website and you'd order it. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Well, I go in there and uh, Boeing had uh, Boeing Commercial Airplanes, Boeing Defense, Space and Security, and now they were splitting out a third segment, um, which is Boeing Global Services. Ah, they B.G.S. that's right. uh, Yeah, B.G.S., when they split that out, Avial rolled up under BCA, so their cash variances didn't really get noticed. But when you split it out into Boeing Global Services, now all of a sudden this, you know, um, $5 billion business has cash variances that are going to get recognized by Wall Street in that segment reporting of Boeing Global Services. So I go in there, they had another guy, you know, working on the cash balances and then he ended up taking another job and going to like St. Louis. Well, I stepped up and said, I'll, I'll get these cash balances under control. So we went from $200 million cash variances, I should say, I think I said previously balances, it's variances. So $200 million variances a month. And I, got, I was able to get it down to around the, the $7 million range. I think $7 million was my smallest variance. Um, but yeah, that was, so what I ended up happening was I basically managed the balance sheet. So I would go attend meetings, I'd find out what was going on in different parts of the business to see, hey, where are we going off the rails here with this, this cash variance. So, um, but it was a highly transactional business, you know, just a lot of transactions going on and uh, that caused a lot of issues. But at the same time, there were a few things that we could really rein in, which I did to bring those variances under control. So you
2: spend 10 years at Boeing. And you work your way up from basically an entry-level job to now managing multi-million dollars over various kinds of programs. And obviously, you're very successful at Boeing, and you're moving up.
1: Why make the change to EPS? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So, Nate, I've I've known Nate, the CEO, uh, for 25 years. About about 25 years. I went to high school with him. Um, and me and Nate always—I mean, I've always kept in contact, and he's always been my friend, best friend, best friend. Um, and so, when I moved to Arizona, like three months later, he moved to Arizona. Hmm. So I went to ASU, then he goes to ASU, and so. But I went to, you know, real estate, and then to Boeing. He went to Honeywell, mm-hmm. and so our our paths just always have have kind of aligned. Um, and so he flies in to to have some meeting with Bell, and I swear this is. I'd been at Avial, you know, call it almost two years. And after two years of being there, I finally, I mean, I was actually getting home at five o'clock. This was like January of 2019. I was getting home at five o'clock at night, just like, wow, this is uh, really nice. <laughs> I uh, I actually can, you know. I watch the news and sit here and talk with my kids and everything and, and be and it's because Aviol had given me some challenges, but I had I was just I had just submitted a project or, or got on top of a project that they had me do on allocations over the company. Mm-hmm. It took me like three, four months to, to get it done, but I finally got it done. I got the cash variances under control. I, I was literally like, wow, I am uh, I, I've I've accomplished a lot here and now I'm I'm to the point where okay maybe it's another position or whatever, but I was enjoying my getting home at five o'clock. Then Nate flies in. <laughs> then Nate comes. <laughs> yeah. Nate ruined it all for he, you. Huh? He literally comes and <laughs> has a, a meeting with Bell and um, takes me to breakfast and just says, "Hey, I need a CFO. You know, we've got a hundred and thirty thousand dollars a month in payroll, and I, you know, which is nothing compared to what we have now, but." Um, <laughs> He's like, yeah, I just, you know, it's to the point where I just can't do this um, by myself. And he he had, he's like, you know, I've I've got a one employee, which is uh, Derek Larson, who was handling a lot of this, but he was also in school. Right. And so um, he's just like, look, I I really need somebody. And so, I mean, this was like a 50-50 chance at this time. And I was like, man, do I really want to do this? And I see what Nate has going on and, you know. But then, as I went and asked questions, well, you know, come to find out, um, Boeing Horizon X was looking at a possible investment into EPS, and I was like, and I remember thinking, huh, hmm. I've I've been in a, a few presentations by Boeing Horizon X, and everybody in Boeing that all the meetings that I went to, they all wanted to be in Horizon X. Hmm. I mean, Horizon X was like, you know. Cutting edge technology, you know, they're investing into these companies that, you know, are great companies but they're, what they were doing could benefit Boeing. So, you know, you had like, people doing stuff within the sports industry and the way they did it or the material they had actually benefited Boeing. So Boeing would make an investment into companies like that and then use that technology in their company with aerospace. But when I found out that they were looking at EPS, I was like, well, if they're seeing something, then that's a really good sign. So then I, you know, I decided to to fly out, do the interview, you know, take a look at. Nate was nice enough to let me see the financials, and so I looked everything over, and I was like, well, man, I've been told there's like once or twice in your life you really get handed an opportunity, mm-hmm. and you know you can take the risk or you can't, you know, and. and that kind of makes all the differences is, is whether or not you move forward on those things. And I felt at that time that the, that this was one of those opportunities because I was like I was in a really good spot at Boeing. I felt that I had the I had a couple of mentors, I had a good network, I had you know name recognition um, within my neck of the woods. So I was really I could see a clear path going forward. And frankly, when I left the CFO at AVL pulled me in. It was just like look, you know what do we gotta do to, to to have you stay. So they matched the offer. Ooh. They yeah, they oh man. <laughs> it was I'm that, sweating
0: for you attending, you know, a few years ago already.
1: <laughs> one of the hardest decisions I ever made. So but ended up uh you know obviously coming over to, to EPS and man, I'll tell you though, the second I walked in the door here the day I started, it has never calmed down it has been more work than you can handle. And then now it's like, how do you manage, um, how do you manage the work that you have and prioritize it so that you can get it done? Mm -hmm. And some things you got to push off and, you know, you just gotta uh, wait until you actually have time or you have a team member or somebody that can do it, or, you know, it's just been constant management of more than you can handle. So no more going home at five o'clock in the the evening (laughs) no more of that and so that's uh you know i i i I come and i start here and literally when i walk through the door they had so much going on they made me the program manager of boeing aed so i remember i I didn't even start my cfo responsibilities until like july august and i started in march of 2019. Mm they made me the program manager and so I was program manager for like four months and I will tell you that I I know enough about program manager I've been around program managers to know okay I can I can manage this but the technical aspect and it I dreaded those phone calls with Boeing because you get on the phone call and they're just like boom 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 I need to know this 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 and this technical and that technical I mean they, they just got into everything so every time I got on a phone call with them I'm like I'm gonna be, this is gonna take me a week just to answer the questions you guys have. Mm -hmm. So they gave me Boeing AED and then they put me over the construction of this building, which you know, you're looking back on it, 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 when you're given stuff like this, some people could get a sour attitude and be like, I was hired as a CFO, what the heck? But (laughs) you know, it's opportunities that, you know, now, I mean, I, I... fully confident I could go build another $5 million building. Sure. I think that's the nice thing about EPS, though,
2: is um, they look for those individuals that have that kind of mentality. You know, you don't just come in and do your 9 to 5 job. You, You look for other things to do to help improve. And I've noticed that with a lot of the employees here. Everybody, for the most part, is very willing to help you out in any shape
1: or form that they can. Yeah, and you know, a year at EPS, two years at EPS is like 10 years at another company. The amount of work you do here and what you learn, you can really build a resume that makes you quite valuable. And I have to tell my employees, I'll I'll sit down with my employees in a one-on-one. Let's build your resume. Let's, you know, because I already know darn well they're going to get, you know, uh, recruiters calling them. So I'm getting ahead of that, you know, happening. Helping them build their resume with the experience that they're getting and helping them realize their value, but then also helping them realize the value of the company. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, making sure that they have shares in their hand. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got skin in the game that, you know, causes them to, or motivates them to work more. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a... There's really, there's a lot of value in working here, but you know, there's also this this management of that value, like you you have to, the the perception of the value. Do the employees at EPS recognize the value and recognize the opportunities that they're being given working here? And so, which is a startup mentality, you have to have that startup mentality in order to take advantage of it. So you kind of highlighted, but so let's say we have a lot of listeners who are from Boeing,
0: you know, or from a Safran or from an Airbus. What would you tell them if they said, hey Dustin, should, should I join you on this path of <laughs> the am, ambiguous unknown, we don't know what we don't know, should I join you at EPS?
1: And I would say, heck yes. <laughs> so, Michael Duffy, oh. he, I was the last phone call, I believe, before he hit accept on his offer. Okay. But he called me and he asked me that question and, and you know... Mike's pretty impressive. We were pretty excited to get someone like him on. And he called me, he's like, hey, why did you do it? What did you, what was your motivating factor? So we went through this whole conversation and I was just like, Mike, I, I did take a risk. I took a chance, but here I am, you know, this was like almost a year ago. I'm like, here I am two years into this and look at where the company's going. I'm like, look, I can promise you, you, you hire on here and in another two years, we'll be double, triple. And here we are a year later. Yeah. Yep. And already now, you look at Mike Duffy, he's like, oh, yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, now he's all over you know um, LinkedIn and posting pictures he and is. everything. And it's just like, yeah, so he's caught fire. He sees it. Yep. He sees the opportunities and know what what we're doing and, and what we're accomplishing. So. Did he call you because he was also a Boeing guy? Is that, is yep. that kind of Yeah, because he wanted... Cause um, I don't know if he asked around to, to see if uh, he had any contacts that knew me, but yeah, because I had left Boeing, mm-hmm. he wanted to, to understand my reasoning. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I walked him through it and I was like, no, that that was a really good decision by me. Well, we have several
2: people here that, that came from not only Boeing, but from other very high profile companies that had, had spent decades at those companies that saw what we're doing here they see what we're doing here and they see the path that we're going and they want to be a part of it and they have have walked away from those careers that they had spent decades building to be a part of this and i think it speaks volumes for the direction that electric power systems is going
1: yeah we i mean in a lot of ways boeing saffron these companies we are i mean i don't know if extension is a is the right word but we're literally doing what they were doing within their companies anyway. We're just much more nimble and quicker. So we can, you know, Boeing's investment into us, if you really look at it from a strategic standpoint, we all know where the, the industry's going. When we were at the Paris Air Show in 2019, you walk by these these gas engine airplanes and it's just like, nah, eh, it's not that cool. They had like two <laughs> hangers. You walk into this hangar and it was everybody flexing their muscle with electrification Mm. and it was all about the future. I mean, you, you just knew at that Paris air show that the industry is going electric. Mm -hmm. So you start, you're starting to see the buddings of that happening. And so that's where I think Boeing, Safran, these, all these other companies, they all see where it's going. Mm -hmm. And now how do they take advantage of that? How do they develop their R and D without a whole lot of risk internally? a company like us is perfect, it's perfect for them to hey I need you to go do this, it's really tough and difficult but see what you can do and let me know and I think we've met those challenges mm-hmm. and so I, I think they're they're happy with the results but they're, they're using us as a way to really develop what they want to do internally. Mm-hmm. And then eventually in, in my mind you know when I think about this from a strategic standpoint they invest into us, we develop their technology, it gets to a point where they uh, they really like what they see then they're like okay just purchase the company. And so that was my, when I started here, when I made the decision to come here, that was the big realization that I had of what was going on is just like, oh, these companies are using electric power systems as a way to test out and get their foot in the door with all this electrification and then eventually, you know, they would purchase the company. Now whether that happens or not, you know, we end up public owned by somebody or what, you know, Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see how that all plays out here in the future. But, um, you know, there's, I, I, I definitely have heard talks around companies. We'll just say companies interest in purchasing electric power systems.
2: It's interesting. It's, but I I think that we have the, like you said, we have the ability to pinpoint our focus on doing modules and, and propulsion systems. Whereas Boeing and these bigger companies, they have entire aircraft that they're building, so it's not one singular focus. And, and I think that's why we're able to succeed like we are, because we're not worried about building airframes or aircraft or, or anything that goes along with it. We do the propulsion systems for it. Mm-hmm. And they're modular, and we can sell them to anybody and everybody that wants one.
1: Yep. And I think the difference with us, though, is that a lot of, you know, some, some of our customers have come up with some pretty dang cool concepts and designs where I'm like, I'd buy that in a second. <laughs> but now the question is, does it work does though? Does it work? Or? Because you're, you're designing from the sky down. And now you, then the last kind of piece of that is the battery. And it's like, now you get to the end and you're like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't fit. <laughs> <laughs> so we have taken the approach of designing the battery. So we're going from the ground up for, you know, ultimate use of that aircraft. Mm. And uh, that, you know, and, and I'm really speaking to eVTOLs here, but you know, we have with our modular design, we've been able to solve the problems of, well, is it, you know, within fixed wing, you know, co- call it an APU start battery or call it, you know, e-VTOL. Mm-hmm. We've been able to produce this battery that can fit into all types of applications. Now, we've been able to do that because we work with what 40 different customers that have all been custom aspect to their batteries so we have this huge list of lessons learned we have all these different specs and measurements and so we have all this industry knowledge that we've been able to put into this epic module that you know allows us to answer the questions for the industry Mm -hmm. instead of being just this aircraft maker that is just solving and answering the questions for that specific aircraft so we're kind of wrap
0: this up here, Dustin. But what's next, right? Any any final thoughts or what's next for electric power systems? You touched on a few things, but for us as a business, since we're all employees here, what do you see happening in the future?
1: Yeah, uh, I see really big things. Um, you know, moving forward, like I said, I mean, that we we could be a public company in the future. We could we could be bought out by somebody and on to bigger and better things with with one of our, or with one of these companies that have interest in us. Um, or we very well could keep this private and still continue to do what we're doing. I mean, that's one of the great aspects of our company is that we're, we are not limited. They're literally the sky's the limit. Um, you know, and we have the opportunity to, to really go which way we want. Now, you know, the, the thing is, though, is that you've got a very, very smart CEO. Very smart and strategic CEO. Um, And then you've got Mike Armstrong, CTO, Mike Duffy. I mean, you've got a management team that really, a leadership team that really understands aerospace. Um, And they see the opportunities, they know what's out there, and so now they're really adjusting to hey, what can we do strategically from a company standpoint in order to take advantage of those opportunities? I wish I could pinpoint you know, on, on the answer here, but as of right now, I mean, each path kind of comes with its pros and cons, Right. but the, the path, um, you know, to this company, you know, really doing big things is, is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we have a lot of, uh, with our IP and, and, and our technology, I think we have a lot of answers that the, uh, the industry is, is looking for, you know, questions to their, or answers to their questions. We've got a lot of those answers. Um, now it's just a matter of us, you know, proving that and letting them kind of get to the point where they figure that out. They're like, well, wait a minute. I've got all this great stuff going on with my aircraft and with this and that, avionics, the the airframe, but yeah, that battery, there's a little more to it than I thought. <laughs> and yeah. so. That's the story. Right, and they're, they're, they come to that realization Uh, eventually, and and some of them, you know, really do get in and figure things out, but once again, they figure it out for their specific aircraft, and so there really needs to be an industry solution. Great. Well, it's been a great conversation.
2: Thank you, Dustin, for taking time out of your busy schedule and having a chat with us today. Uh, Tune in next time for more great conversation on the aviation renaissance with Spencer. And, Spencer. This podcast was brought to you by Electric Power Systems. EPS is a leading provider of high-voltage, high-power, certifiable electric power systems for high-reliability applications. Its mission is to power transportation's electric renaissance by providing smarter, safer, more reliable, lighter, and certifiable batteries.